Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest in the series of our ISE podcast episodes. Today, we're going to be talking about employer branding, marketing, and attraction, and our reactions to the current coronavirus crisis. I'm seeing from the ISE's point of view that actually we're starting to hear more conversations happening around how our employers are going to deal with the autumn season as it comes along, but also much further beyond that, and how might actually the way we go about talking to early talent change. With me today, I've got two experts and veterans of the industry. So I've got Tom from Tonic and Alison Heron from GSK. My name is Steve Assured. I'm Chief Executive of the ISE. Alison, Tom, would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure. So uh, hi, everyone. I'm Alison Heron, and I'm the Global Head of Employer Brand for GSK. Prior to that, I worked at KPMG for a number of years and headed up UK student recruitment. I've also worked agency side in an organisation very similar to Tom's. And I'm Tom Chesterton. I'm Chief Exec and Co-Founder of Tonic. I've been working with employers since I came out of university in 1997, before moving into agencies just after dot-com bubble burst, and then launched Tonic in 2012 to build brands that people want to work with. We do that around the world with great, interesting people. I think I've been, I've been a board member now for two and a bit years, Stephen. You have, yes, I think it is, yes. And it's interesting you mentioned the dot-com bubble because I remember that that crash as well and I think it's interesting to see the conversations where people are taking learnings from both the dot-com crash mm. and then also the financial crash and how that applies so maybe we'll get into that as we go on. So if we get stuck into the content the first question I've got really is that I alluded to this in my introduction as this crisis unfolding you know I am starting to see employer pay a lot more attention to this branding the marketing and attraction issues. So what do you both think the main issues that employers are facing at the moment? I think I think the biggest issue for all of us is that we don't have the guidelines for this. You know, there is no playbook around how to respond in a crisis like this because we've never had it before. And I'm not going to use the U word, by the way. I have banned the use of the U word in all of our employer brand communications right now. We really have to rethink right now how we're communicating. And the work that I do is around both early talent and experienced hire. So when I talk, I'll be talking more kind of generally. It's a massive moment of truth for brands, really, because I think what we say and what we do know is what people will remember. And saying nothing is saying something as well, I think. So it's um, it's a big opportunity, I think, to show what your employer brand is really about. You know, in the same way that people's characters are pointed out in a crisis, good or bad, I think the same is true of brands. It, this is not changing our brand, it's just showing what it's really like. So I think the biggest issue is being able to respond to it well and authentically, because that's going to demonstrate what is your employer brand. So ones that always show honesty and what it's really like to work at an organisation, ones that are based on reality and true employee experiences. And now, of course, caring for their employees and thinking about employee safety. I think those are the ones that, that are really going to shine right now. The biggest issue, I guess, that we're facing is how do we respond to that? What is it that we're doing and saying right now that's going to make the difference to people? And I guess being a pharmaceuticals business, you know, you're, you really are right in, in the thick of this crisis. We are, yeah. For me, it's about getting the balance as well, because we're doing some great things for sure, not just in terms of looking after employees, but we've got lots of production lines producing products that need to get to patients and consumers right now. So we're ramping up on that front. But at the same time, pharma companies, of course, will always get the negative response. And we've got lots of favorite trolls who talk about the fact that we are, you know, we're making money as well. So I think we have to be honest and real about what we are doing. 
And the fact you're hiring too, of course. And it's in certain hotspots, you know, where on the sites and production lines, we do need more people. Again, that's an opportunity to say not just that we're hiring, but why we're hiring and how we're doing it too. I think that's really important because people want to know that they will be safe then and they will be handled and treated really well in this in this time. And I think that's something that we we forget it. Whenever there's a difficult mm. situation in the economy, organisations still hire. If you go back to the ATR, as was the data from the financial crash, there were employers mm. that didn't fill all their vacancies because sometimes mm. it's assumed that everything stopped. It's becoming a bit of a game of two halves looking at the broader market. I think now that the first stages of this very new experience for all of us is is kind of unfolding. Everybody went into a bit of a state of paralysis, didn't they? Nobody knew what was going to happen, what the likely course of action was going to be. So everybody kind of went into a bit of shock. That first bit now seems to have, have finished. And of course, there are those industries that have been really badly affected and there are those industries that have been you know, less affected. But I think, you know, Alison's points are, are really pertinent at the very most important core level, which is that how you respond to that that really matters. You know, the things that I'm seeing are people who are pulling back almost entirely from the market. And I think there's people who haven't necessarily learned the lessons of what happened in 08, 09, what happened after dot-com bubble burst. You know, they're not investing in, in early talent. And I think that will hurt them in years to come. You know, actually, I think it will damage their brand for a long time as well. But I think it's completely understandable with that kind of lack of certainty. And first thing you need to do from a marketing perspective is reflect on what the business needs. If your business isn't telling you what it needs from an early talent perspective, then it's very difficult to react to that. Things I'm seeing is just kind of lack of certainty about what the next six months will hold. You know, what will happen on campus? We'll be able to go and see people. thing that really attracted me firstly to early talent was that kind of sense of innovation. There's a very competitive market, obviously, in, in lots of countries, but particularly in the UK. You know, that innovation about how do you gain competitive advantage has led to a lot of really good brains being in this space. And to that end, people will be innovative about how they respond to that new environment, whether it's becoming more digital, whether it's about disintermediation away from the career services as, the, as a way of accessing candidates and building more direct relationships with people. But you know, fundamentally, I think that the core challenge remains the same, which is how do you build face-to-face time in with people you want to bring into your business in a way that maybe you can't do that so clearly. So I think, you know, there's a lot of short-term challenges that we're going to have to mm-hmm. respond to. And how do you think those strategies and tactics need to change, Alison? Well, I think, as Tom said, there was a lot of uncertainty at the beginning. And certainly the first thing that we did was just to stop and rethink. Because like a lot of organisations, we're mostly on social with our brand activity. When we work, you know, one or two months in advance, it was a case of actually we can't use any of that stuff right now. What are we going to say and do? So it was being quite responsive in that respect and but just taking that stock of what we had and how appropriate it was. So I think what, what we've been doing over the last three, four weeks, it's a few weeks in now, is just making sure we've got these guiding principles, making sure that we're working with corporate communications as well and internal comms to make sure that all the messaging, the kind of response messaging that we've got. So we have a strategy in place, whether it's, you know, responding to a question on the social channels or putting out a post, we're making sure that it's on brand, it's our tone of voice. Because I think at this time, the last thing you want to be doing is changing your tone of voice, being authentic to the brand that you do have. But I think on a more practical level, you know, looking really carefully at the images that you've got and the stories that you're telling. You know, there's a lot of happy, smiling faces of people working at home with their dogs on their laptops. And not everybody's doing that. We've got frontline workers 
workers as well on production lines. So you have to strike that balance between uh, what it's like for them and what it's like for everybody else. And I think it's also about not just talking about uh, what you're doing in response. We're still, our brand is still our brand. And we have to make sure, you know, in this time that we are still talking about generally what it's like to work at GSK, what our brand stands for as an organisation, what's our values, what's our purpose and so on. So it's really important that we do that. But then we also think about, you know, what's important to people right now? It's how we are looking after employees, what we're doing, how we're responding and keeping everybody safe. They want to know the short term as well as the, the medium term. And of course, as Tom said, particularly with early talent, I think there's very short term issues such as all the placements, the summer interns that are coming in, uh, the people that are going through the recruitment process. Again, and from a global stance, we've got some markets that haven't even gone live yet. So it's the changes that we are having to make on the process side of that, as well as thinking about the people that are coming in, the onboarding, the internships, how we're going to handle all that. And that's before you even get to the, the autumn. There are definitely some short term changes that everybody's in the thick of now. Well, I think the thing that you have to, to remember is that fundamentally this is a group of people who we're trying to bring into careers. I don't want to be overly dramatic about it, but they don't know what's going on and they're concerned about what's going on. So the more the organisations can be supportive and helpful and in the moment with them almost, actually the better that will reflect on their brand. So if you think about how how behaviour is changing for people, whether they're consumer or whether they're stakeholder or whether they're candidate, people just don't know. So the better we can support them, the more likely they are to engage with us in the future. It's a missed opportunity to show how good your brand really is and who you really are as an organisation by shutting up shop. I think it would be better to be front-footed about it now because I think that will pay off in the future. But you know that does talk to changing consumer behaviour and changing brand behaviour as well. But I think it's also about being honest in your communications. And if you don't know yet, say that. We've been spending quite a lot of time um, just rewriting communications to candidates. You're doing a lot of contacting them by phone, obviously, but then following up with emails just to put them in the picture of what's going to happen. And if we genuinely don't know, then we will let them know when we will know. So I think that, again, is, is the best that you can do in this point in time. I think it's really surprising how understanding people are of the situation that we're in. Everybody knows this is not anybody's fault. It's just the way it is. There's a very different environment. Those kind of basic human characteristics of empathy and kindness will go a long way. I think will be valued by the people we're trying to talk to. But if you if you break it down, there's a bunch of people who are sat at home desperate for information and desperate for content that supports them. So they've got a lot of attention to give you if you, if you choose to help them to live their lives in a better way. Whatever happens in the short term and the medium term, I think the, the status quo is going to change and it will shift towards those organisations that put in the hard yards now and think really about who it is they're, they're trying to talk to. I think it's really interesting. It's a time of any time of crisis, and this is a very different crisis to what we've experienced in the past, but you see those organisations that are agile, that do respond quickly, but also talk. I'm going back to my own experience of the financial crash, and I just looked at some employees that just didn't talk to the students. They didn't tell them what was happening, mm. exactly as you both said. I mean, people are sensible. We're human beings. Everybody reads the press. They know that it's difficult, and they know that sometimes organisations have to make tough decisions. And as long as that's explained to them and people are dealt with reasonably, 99.999% of people accept that and respond positively to it. Like you said, Alison, even if people don't know what's happening, at least let mm. people know that you don't know and give them some kind of time 
timeframes to it. Absolutely. It's interesting when kind of separating out because there's always been a lot of talk about recruitment processes moving virtually with video interviews and we seem to be able to respond very quickly in that. I kind of something there's a pendulum here. So the pendulum is swinging, you know, 100% virtual. But uh, I think there's a big question about whether that pendulum will swing back. Have you both got any thoughts what might happen as we move into a more transition phase in this current crisis and start to think about how we interact virtually? Because one of the things I'm worried about, this could get really very messy. Universities will try to do all their own thing. You'll have a number of platforms out there. Of course, we'll all be trying to talk to students and then particularly larger employers will have their own platforms be able to get students on and get the conversation going. And I worry there's going to be a really fragmented marketplace out there that ends up with a really fragmented audience with nobody quite knowing where to go to. Have either of you got any thoughts about how this might play out and what employers should be thinking about at the moment? So I was listening to the um, the podcast with Bob and Vanessa a few days ago, and there were some points in that I think it was Vanessa made about the speed at which students and we all have adapted to technology changes. To that point, I suppose the reality is that we're all using technology in a much more deep and meaningful way now. You know, things that would have been seen as being outlandish, you know, lots of meetings every day on video conference, for example, is, you know, it's one of those things. But my kids are having all of their lessons either through Microsoft Teams or through Zoom and they're, they're having a way of a time, frankly. The downside on that is that if you've got this big consumer behavior change and, and you're not able to respond to that in a way that, that actually reflects that pace, then you're going to leave a hole in the market. And I completely agree that I think it will be a mess for a little while in terms of, you know, what are the ways that that happens? Because I, I do think there will be a shift towards digital because people just have to make plans for the autumn. That's not a hole that is just going to go away. It's going to be there for the short term, at least anyway. So what does that look like in terms of how career services fill that gap in the short term or employers fill that gap in the short term or suppliers fill that gap in the short term? There'll be a bunch of people fighting for that space. And whoever moves fastest and more with most confidence is going to have most success because you know those who move slowly, they'll be wondering what to do, I think. There's a real opportunity to do that in a way that is meaningful for candidates, but I'm not sure that career services and employers are able to move that quickly in general. So I think it will be a bit of a, a challenge in the next couple of months. What do you think, Alison? I guess there's a lot of stuff already online digital, right? A lot of processes, certainly our process up to the assessment centre actually, has been all online for a couple of years now. So the immediate thing for us was the assessment centres, because still some running in the UK, particularly around apprentices, but in lots of other markets too. The, you know, the team, that's, that's been their focus for the last few weeks, is how do we do that and try and give the candidates as best an experience as they can have making sure that the assessment centre is also the same, because that's really important. We've had a bunch of people who will join us this autumn who've already been through a face-to-face -face assessment centre. So we have to make sure that we're as fair and consistent as possible to the ones that are going through it now. I think this has been a catalyst for more virtual, for sure. It's making, and as you said, Tom, we're now having to think about the autumn already because we can't wait to see what happens. We've got to think about how we're going to take all the attraction activity. For a lot of companies, there's still a campus element to it alongside all the digital stuff that goes on. You know, I've always been a big fan, although I am a veteran, as you rightly said, Stephen, of high tech, high touch and having that balance. We possibly may not have the high touch part at all in this coming season. So we've got to think about what we can do with technology. And like you said, Tom, everyone's experiencing the, you know, the Zoom calls and the family quizzes and how we're all interacting now because this is our life now. So I think we're looking at it differently too. We're not just looking at it as a kind of, all right, we'll do a meeting or we'll do an odd call on it, but 
we're living our lives on online platforms now. So I think particularly with students, they're so used to it that I think they will probably transition easier than we will. But to your point, Stephen, about what happens in the marketplace, I think it could get very messy because there's a lot of people who are having to react very quickly. And will they make the right decisions necessarily? People don't have endless budgets right now, for sure. So what can they do within the systems potentially that they've got as well? That's somewhere perhaps that the ISE can play a role in guiding and letting people know what's best practice, what have some organisations already got in place potentially. I think it's um, it's funny though when I look when I think about my team, the people who are most keen to get back into the office are the people who are at the younger end of the spectrum. They don't have the space necessarily. They may be living on each other's laps almost. You know, fighting for Wi-Fi, and frankly, they're just desperate to have some social life. You know, I think the same thing probably applies for for students as well. If we can be in a place where we're giving them a great digital experience, but also you know, when the time is right, coupling that with some something that's a bit more social. Actually, that, I think that's where the depth of value mm-hmm. starts becoming really personal. And I think we also have to think about it, talking about like internships and placements that are potentially starting in the summer, whether we're having to delay some of them because we need them working in a lab and they don't have that set up at home. But I think for others, you know, we can't assume that everybody's got a good working setup at home and good broadband. From a social mobility point of view, we're making some big assumptions that people can do their internships virtually. So I think that's another consideration that um, maybe people aren't sort of talking about right now. Do the the principles of employer branding stay the same as we deal with this crisis and as we also talk about things like moving to a more virtual world? Or do you think there's anything past this coronavirus crisis that changes some of those principles about the way we talk to people, the way we engage, the way that the kind of messaging audiences, audiences want? I think the principles will stay the same, but I think they become magnified. If I think about brand in its broadest sense, so brand outside of employer brand to, to begin with you know the, the relationship with that brands are, have with with people right now is an interesting development place so there are brands that i'm sure we could discuss that, that have set themselves up as brilliant brands to not only be the customer of but to work for and some of those are, are failing badly in terms of the relationship they have with the people they, they inter- interact with there's more of a magnifying glass on what an, what an organization stands for and if you don't meet the expectations of people then there's not really much space for forgiveness in this market particularly and you see that with brands from sportswear manufacturers to others you know and, and i think we can can talk about those in more detail if you like but fundamentally people are the same you know the emotions may be higher but they're still the same thing of i want something that gives me security and i want something that's interesting you know whether that's for myself whether it's for my kids or you know whoever you're talking to really we're really in the business of managing human emotion at the moment and i think that that point gives you the clues about how you work this so you know rather than over communicating first thing to do is really start listening to what people are interested in what they see as most valuable and seeing how you can support them in their in their day-to-day life and then giving value will allow them to build brand and i don't think that's any different to how it used to be but i think the focus on getting insights and allowing better decisions to be made from that, not only in terms of what the business needs, but also the creative execution and the content plan that you've got, I think are, are really important. I think it is more important now, but I think the principles still say the same if you've been doing employer brand in the right way in the past, which is, you know, listen first, build a communications plan, be consistent and give a great experience. These are the things that, that are kind of the core principles of being a great employer. I totally agree. And actually, I think it's kind of our moment to shine as well. 
in a lot of organizations, employer brand is plays second fiddle to the corporate brand often. But I think now the focus is on people and culture and the whole employee experience. Uh, and that's where your employer brand starts. It's got to be true to what it's like to work in that organization. You know, if it's a successful employer brand, it's one that your employees will talk about in a positive way. And you can't have a better advocate than, than your own employees. So I think, again, the principles of get it right internally first and then talk about it externally. That's no different. I think there will be a, for sure a greater focus on what is that employee experience, particularly in the short term. How uh, has that employer reacted? What have they done? What have they done for their people? Because that is the, the guiding principle, if you like, for the brand right now. And then I think how that's taken forward, you know, how we all transition out of lockdown, what that means longer term. I think a lot of employee experiences will change, not least the whole flexible working thing. You know, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of organisations thinking, do we need to pay all that money in space, expensive space in a big city? You know, how can we change? How can we be a bit more flexible? Albeit that not everybody wants to have that all the time, for sure. But I think it will raise a lot more questions about how we are all working. You know, there will be a new normal, as everyone's talking about it. But I think the impact, as you mentioned, Tom, about some brands are being very badly behaved and they're going to suffer for sure. Just as, as happened before, you know, when we were all living through the, the crisis before and graduate offers were being rescinded by certain organisations and it took them a long time for their employer brand to be a well-respected one again. Yeah, I agree. There are, I mean, there are lots of examples we could give, I guess. There's a well-known example of a sportswear chain that was the owner was desperate to keep it open at the start of this crisis as being you know, almost an emergency service. And I think that, that won't be very helpful for their, for their employer branding team because it, it takes every ounce of energy that they've thrown at making their brand visible and turns it on its head and makes it the sort of place you wouldn't necessarily want to go and work for. You know, There's almost this evolution of are you a good business or are you a bad business? It's interesting when you get to a place when, you, when you're applying pressure to people, you get their true sense of personality. And as you said at the start, Alison, the same applies to brands. If brands are really showing their true colours now. I don't think that that will be forgotten. And as I said earlier on, I don't think it will be forgiven really quickly either. I think it will have a long-lasting legacy about how organisations respond to this point. Everybody's clearly trying their best, but not everybody has a massive cash pile to, to keep everybody on. People are forgiving about those changes, but it's not enough to, to put your people in danger. Now, it's not enough to not be responding to the zeitgeist of what's happening, about more having a higher level of social conscience within the general population and, and responding that to that in the right way. So even brands that you know at the very highest level doing some interesting and good things, you know, like giving away coffee vouchers so when time gets better, that's just very clearly selling more coffee. You know, that's not a good way to respond to the zeitgeist. But giving back and, and adding value to society in a different way that is actually meaningful. So, you know, whether it's Leon keeping their people on or whether it's Burberry making gowns for PPE, you know, these are good things to do. They will be perceived better as an employer. You know, I think it puts more weight on employer branding to liaise with the business to make sure that the whole of the brand works together. Because I don't think employer brand is a standalone anymore. I think particularly for organisations that have, you know, the consumer side of it as well, because that very famous sports word that you talked about, Tom, they will affect their consumers too, not just their employees and potential employees, but you know there'll be a lot of people that will not go into their stores as a result of this, for sure. Yeah, and a lot of their customers are young people who will be early talent targets. It does feel quite different to, well, it's obviously different to the financial crash for obvious reasons, but whereas it was the banks who were very much under the spotlight there and the ones that were taking a beating, this feels much broader in the sense that 
every organisation is under the spotlight and how they respond. And yes, it feels that need for people being authentic during January stuff. There's been some interesting stuff in the FT over the last couple of weeks. There's been talk again for a while about a different form of capitalism and the more broader focus on all your stakeholders. And there's some interesting commentary about actually that's becoming so true now as what organisations need. Again, how much of that will stick? Because we are, we're all veterans on this podcast, aren't we? We've kind of seen some downturns. And students do remember. I mean, it's very easy to think that, oh, you know, as soon as jobs come back, everything goes back to normal. But I know one or two graduate recruiters have really struggled back in the marketplace when that's happened because campuses are all communities and word of mouth gets handed down. And people do remember when organisations have treated their graduates in a rather cavalier fashion. There's a, a Gary Argent put a, a piece out on his blog. We had a stat in it. And I, I'm going to butcher it now. I forget the detail, but it was effectively saying that it takes four years for the brand value to return to where it was and, and cost 10 times as much to fill in the gaps that you've left by either behaving badly or, or underinvesting. It's the point of a downturn. So, you know, the economics of it don't even work. It seems like short-term saving, but the long-term impact on the bottom line is, is pronounced. But I think the other thing that's changed in the last few years, Steve, you talked about the reaching the different kind of communities with all those two shareholders, internal, external, at the same time, because we've got social now and all the social channels. And that's where most brands are played out. Everyone sees that so much more than ever before. And I think the the other side of that is that it's a massive opportunity for leaders, for CEOs to be visible, not in the FT and, you know, not making the formal statement, but actually showing a more human side, which again reflects your brand as an organisation. If you've got someone at the top that's being very human and actively talking about what they're doing and demonstrating that they're caring for their people. You know, that's a massive advantage too. And there's some good examples of that. The guy who heads Marriott Hotel Group has done an amazing video on LinkedIn to that point. There's a letter from the Shell CEO. So there's, there's some really nice examples around of how people are stepping up and stepping forward in a space that maybe they haven't done before. And it's having a big impact too. So there's also loads of there's loads there's really really good examples of organisations who are contributing but aren't singing their own song at the moment. Whether you're contributing towards the development of vaccines or housing homeless people in your hotel, there's another organisation that I'm thinking of that are basically putting together the drive-through testing facilities across the UK, but they're not talking about that stuff. There's an awful lot of good things that are happening out there that will add so much depth, and we shouldn't be afraid of talking about those things. I think. Um, one question that's just occurred to me is. This is sometimes a problem for our members in organisations. We talk about sort of CEOs at the top of organisations, and you can imagine all the fires they're trying to fight at the moment. And sometimes there is a danger that, you know, recruitment, employer branding, there's bigger fires to fight. Is there anything you can think of advice in terms of people who might be listening to this in terms of how you do ensure that actually senior stakeholders in organisations do take this seriously and do understand the longer term implications of this? You know, there are so many different factors that you're trying to consider, but the most important part of that is the people who you're working with. For every business leader, I would, I would hope at least anyway, people are amongst the first considerations that they have in terms of, you know, are they safe? Are they well? How do we support them through this process? And how do we make sure that we're right sized for what we have to do? You know, fundamentally, business is business. There is an economic reality which you have to react to. And not everybody's going to be in the same place. But from a, an investing in the future perspective, you know, every organization will be looking at what are the opportunities going forward and will be looking at how, how do they frame that from a people perspective in, in the right way. And if organizations are wise, they'll be looking beyond the balance sheet for the next six months and we'll be thinking about how does talent help us to 
pivot or to grow in our own space or to change direction, whatever that looks like, so that the business remains competitive and you know leading in its space. That investment in early talent, I think, is really easy to make the case for as long as you're not focused on the tactical here and that. If you're thinking about the longer term and you know even medium term and longer term strategic stuff, then actually that conversation is a very different one to be having to I need some money to go on campus in the autumn. You know, it's about future talent and investment. You know, for, for me, I think that conversation is orientated towards data and insight and listening to what the business needs, but then also thinking ahead and thinking to what the business will need in, in 12 to 18 months, not just what it needs in, in September. From our own perspective, we're seeing uh, the senior leadership really stepped up and stepped forward right from the word go on this, you know, in terms of how we're responding. And Emma, uh, Emma Walmsley, our CEO, We've got a dedicated channel now on Workplace. We use Workplace as our kind of internal channel. We have a specific group now that just gives updates every day. She has done a huge number of videos out to the organisation and stressing, I think, not only to your point, Tom, that we're looking at this in the short term, how we're responding, all the collaborations that we're taking part in. So she talks about it from the business aspect, but very much front of mind is the people. So she talks about the people first and then the business. And it is what we're doing now, but also that we still need to keep an eye on the future. Weeks before this all kicked off, we had announced in our end of year results that in two years time, we're going to be splitting into two organisations. Now that work doesn't stop. It can't stop, not least because we don't know how long this is going to go on for. So it's about making sure that we are organised and safe, that our people are being looked after right now and for however long that needs to happen. But also that, you know, our business must carry on, as I said earlier, about the medicines, the vaccines, the consumer products that need to get to patients that need these. So that that part of it is obviously making sure. So business continuity is another prong of what she talks about every time she does the communication to us. And yes, I think it's then about that look to the future, too, to make sure that we're not just dealing with a short term. I think it's tricky for a lot of CEOs there to talk business a lot. You know, when I look at platform like LinkedIn, um, there are a few who I think do the more human aspect of their world really well. But I think for a lot of CEOs, it, it's tricky to get that balance and probably to step forward now and suddenly change the way they're communicating. too. But I think if you can, then that says a tremendous amount about your brand. Yes, I agree. Yes. And I think that plays down to our members as well. You know, again, from my experience dealing with, you know, difficult economic periods, it is that mixture of pragmatism, but also, as you both said, using some data, some analysis and thinking about that longer six term, longer period of time. I think business leaders appreciate that kind of insight and inputs to help them make the right decisions. So getting that that balance Mm -hmm. between the two. Fantastic. That was great. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you both taking your time. We are doing this in a virtual world. We're all sat in our houses recording podcasts where we normally get around the microphone in the office. So this is a good example of um, the the new ways of working. So really appreciate you both taking your time out. That was a really, really interesting conversation. To those of you listening to this podcast, please feel free to share this around, look at our other episodes, and also please be sure to look at our webinars, both those coming up and also our our sort of back catalogue of webinars we've covered our view as the ISC is that actually it's particularly at times like this you do need your membership organization to be stepping up so we are providing lots of content around all the areas you're dealing with and if there's anything you think that we are not meeting at the moment then please tell us and we will look to fill those gaps talk to you all soon Alison and Tom thank you very much thank you Steve